One of our, our main things is just to genuinely express the gospel clearly for people to understand what it is that Jesus has done for them. Because we believe that it's when you understand the gospel and what Jesus has done for you, when your faith shifts from what you can do to what Jesus has done for you, that's when people get switched on. And we want to see people come alive. We want to see people get switched on to the calling that God has for their lives. Even yesterday, as we were talking with our team, we were saying, we want to move you from just coming to church on a Sunday or coming to a connect group and doing a job. We don't want this to be a job. We want this to be you stepping into the calling that God has for your life. And that's why we do the courses. That's why we take people through things that are sometimes a little bit more in-depth because we want to make solid disciples that can bear weight in the kingdom and they can see great things done. Come on, how many of you are saying, I want to be used by God? I want to go forward. I, wanna, I want God to use my life in whatever, he's, in whatever area He's gifted me in um, to actually make a difference. And so one of the things we've been doing as a church, if you're visiting with us today, is that we've been going through the, the Gospel of John. Uh, we started our church going through the book of Acts, which was an incredible journey for us as a young church, a bunch of flawed, imperfect people to say, hey, God used flawed, imperfect people before to pretty much change the world, so he can, he's still doing that. And, uh, and now we're going through the Gospel of John because we love how John clearly shows us who Jesus is and what it is that Jesus came to do for us. And he unfolds this picture after picture after picture, uh, interaction after interaction, story after story, sermon after sermon. As, as Jesus goes about, he is constantly reiterating and showing us Jesus from different angles, seeing things from different angles and different perspectives, but seeing the same Jesus and, and, and just how, and that's why you have, when you, when you look at in scriptures, it says that in heaven, um, all the, uh, the elders and, and, and the angels and everything that's around the throne in heaven, every single time they look at God, they start worshiping all over again. They start, the elders fall down on the floor and they throw their crowns before Jesus and they all cry out continuously, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they just sing out worship to Him because it's like every time they look, they're hit by just another angle and, an, and just overwhelmed again by how good He is. And that's what I felt like going through the Gospel of John with all of you. I don't know how, how, how you've uh, perceived it and how you've experienced it, but for me, Every single time we just see another angle of Jesus, all I want to do is just commit my life to Him all over again. I just want to worship Him. I just want to serve Him because I keep seeing how good God is and who we have as a Savior and what it is that Jesus has done for us. So last week, we sh I shared a message called When Jesus Shows Up Late. And I spoke about how Jesus, it says that Jesus loved uh, it's from John 11, how Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary, that family. And because he loved them, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he delayed. It says, so, it says, Jesus loved them, so he delayed two more days. And what I spoke about is how sometimes God, uh, even though he's given a promise, before that he said, this is not unto death, but even though he's given a promise, sometimes he delays because he's doing something so rich, so expensive in our hearts and in our lives. He's actually causing us to be changed. He's, he's causing us to trust in Him in a brand new way. And He says, he says to Martha at the end, if, I told you that, that, that if you believe, would you not see my glory? If you just kept your faith in the promises, wouldn't you see the glory of God fulfilled? He wants us to trust Him to a greater measure. And so Jesus steps up uh, to the tomb of Lazarus and He calls Him forth. 
Lazarus had been dead for four days, and he, Lazarus, he, he raises Lazarus. He Lazarus is raised uh, from the dead. That was awesome. Okay, so he raises Lazarus from the dead, and, uh, and he says, unbind him, loose him, and let him go. And, and that's what we believe God has done for us. Our hearts were those tombs, those stone-cold tombs with a stone laid against it, and we were worried about the stench on the inside of our hearts. And Jesus steps up and he says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see my glory? Take that stone away, roll it away, open up your heart. And then he calls forth life from within us. He calls us back to life. He essentially raises us from the death that we were living in. And we are able to then walk with God, but sometimes we feel like we're still wrapped up in a little bit of that death. We still struggle with things. And, we, and Jesus, the process of sanctification is he is unbinding us from the things that hold us back. He wants us to run free. He wants us to live out the new life that he has given us. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of where we left the story uh, last Sunday. And so I'm going to go to John chapter number 12 today. If you have your Bibles here, you can just open up with me in John 12 and verse 1. Uh, if you have your phones, you can just uh, scroll over there right now. Uh, John 12 and verse 1. I'm going to read the first eight verses. And this is kind of, it flows, the reason why I gave a recap from last week is because it flows directly out of John 11 and everything that we dealt with last week. Um, so in John 12 verse 1, it says, six days before the Passover. So the Passover is coming up again. And it says, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Whenever uh, it was time for the Passover or there was a feast in Jerusalem, Jesus would come to Jerusalem for the feast, but he wouldn't go stay at a motel. He wouldn't go stay uh, you know, somewhere in the city. He would go and stay with friends. Jesus loved this family, and it was very close to Jerusalem. He could walk to Jerusalem, and so he would come and stay with his family. So it's time for the Passover, and Jesus goes and stays with his friends. He goes to where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. It says in verse 2, So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. I'm going to go into the scripture a little bit and, and, and take out a few things that happens when we know the worth of Jesus. I'm going to share a message with you entitled, To Know His Worth. Um, and, uh, and we're going to look at the worth of Jesus and what happens when we genuinely recognize His worth in our lives. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into this. Father, we thank You so much this morning that, uh, Father, that You are causing us to know Your worth in increasing measure, Lord God, that You are speaking to us, that You're opening up our hearts, that You're opening up our minds, that You're breaking off preconceived ideas, Father, that You're helping us overcome our small-mindedness sometimes, God, and our lack of faith. God, and we only do it by Your grace. Father, this morning we just pray that you would enlarge our, 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 our perspective of who you are 
and what you have done for us, Lord God, and that we would be activated through all of that, Father God, to, to spend more time with you, to love you more, to know how much you love us, and to, and to live lives that are, that are filled with worship and gratitude, Lord. We just thank you so much this morning uh, that you are speaking, that you are changing hearts, and that you're doing what only you can do, and we, we give you all the glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, I remember a while back, um, my wife was given a watch. I don't know if anybody's ever given you something, and uh, especially if it's out of the blue. You know, somebody came up to my wife, and they said, hey, they, they were thinking about her. She had recently lost some of her jewelry, and uh, they said, we, we've been thinking about you, and here's, here's a watch that we would like to give you. And we took this watch. It was kind of in a makeshift little box because they had lost the box, and so we looked at this watch, and we were like, wow, it looks pretty nice. And she was kind of wearing it, but kind of flippant about the whole thing. You know, it's like, oh, it's, a, it's not a bad watch. It looks pretty cool. It goes with most of my things. And, and so she would uh, wear it every day, all around, whatever, and sometimes take it off. And we're like, oh, you forgot your watch there, or whatever. And, and uh, a while later, we were like, let's actually find out what kind of watch this is and, and how much it was. So we were in a mall, and we walked past a jewelry store, and we said, hey, just can you tell us like, what this watch is worth? And the, the people were going, wow, this is an incredible watch. This is such a nice watch, and it's a Swiss move, and it's all these kinds of things. And they're like, uh, we value it. We sell it for roughly 20,000 rand. And we were like, what? Lock that thing in the safe. Like, we've just been using it all around. Like, that is way more valuable than we thought that it was when we first got it. And what I realized is that in our lives, salvation is very much like that. You sometimes, you get saved, you, you hear the story about what Jesus has done for you, and you respond. God speaks to your heart, you respond, you go, wow, it's so awesome, it's so awesome what Jesus has done. But the truth is, is that none of us genuinely know how valuable it is, what God has done for us. Sometimes we can even be a little bit flippant with our faith. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's cool, it's, uh, you know, I sometimes go to church, or I sometimes pray, or, you know, whatever it may be. But if I was driving in the car yesterday on the way to our team day, and I was just thinking to myself, where would I be today if Jesus hadn't stepped into my life? With all the, the flaws that I have and all of the imperfections that I have, where would I have ended up in my own sinfulness if it wasn't for the grace of God? If it wasn't for how He stepped into my life and, and just saved me? And so when you first get saved, it's very much true that you don't place a high enough value on your salvation. You don't place a high enough value on what it is that Jesus has done for you. But the longer you go on the journey, the more you realize how much you've been saved. The more you, you come face to face with your own imperfections and your own flaws and your, and your own issues, the more you realize what it is that Jesus has actually done for you. I've shared this story a couple times before, but uh, it's just something that always sticks with me in terms of knowing the value of what Jesus has done for us and how it's often an unfolding journey. And I heard somebody say, it's like, it's like if you got in, a, in your car and you drove, and uh, as you were getting uh, over some train tracks, your car just died on the train tracks. And, uh, and you're trying to get your, your, your car started again, and, and all of a sudden you hear a sound coming around the corner, and you see this train is flying at you, and you better get out of that car immediately, otherwise you will be no more. And, uh, and so you try and, and, and get your buckle undone, and, and you, you're fumbling it, the pressure's too much, and you realize, this is it. My time's come. And, uh, and, and in that moment, just as that train is about to hit you, a car comes from behind and pushes you off the tracks. 
and obviously gets smashed. And you get out of the car, you're trembling, you're shaking, you can't believe that somebody gave up their life for you. And you're kind of sitting there uh, on your car, just, you know, shocked about what's just happened and, and kind of in awe of the fact that somebody would do that for you. Um, and then you hear a sound coming from inside of your boot. And you, you, you open up the boot and you find that your, your, your son was playing hide-and-go-seek and had actually, was actually hiding in the car. And what this analogy was saying was that in the beginning, we're like, I can't believe somebody saved me. But over time, you realize how much you were saved, how much value was actually in that act of salvation and what Jesus did for you on the cross. And so it's often an unfolding journey for us to find out, not just from, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian now, or hey, yeah, you know, God forgave my sins, but to know how much we genuinely need Jesus. I'm telling you now, I need Jesus more today than I did the day I got saved. God is calling me to walk in, 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 in more and more faithfulness day by day by day. I need to depend on His grace more and more, not less and less. You never graduate from the grace of God. You need it in increasing measure every single day that this journey goes forward. And the more you are aware, and so sometimes um, disappoint, being disappointed in your own self is one of the most... Uh, valuable things that, that can happen to you. I can't tell you how many times I've been disappointed in myself, not acting or reacting the way I wanted to, saying something I shouldn't have said or doing something I shouldn't have done, and I'm like, I, I'm still imperfect. And it's those moments that make me go, oh, I'm so grateful that I'm saved. I'm so grateful for the grace of God, and I'm so grateful for what He continues to do in my life. So, so as we mature in Christ, the more you mature in Christ, the more you realize how sinful you really are and how much Jesus actually saved you. That's the, that's the process. And what happens is that you just put a higher value on Jesus. You just put in, the value and the worth that you place on Jesus just increases as you grow in Him and as you recognize all of this. And, 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 and it leads to you becoming more and more committed the Bible says that those who have been forgiven much, love much. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. And that's why I love Jesus more every day, because I recognize how much more I've been forgiven than I initially thought. Come on, isn't that good? The more we recognize how much we've been forgiven, the easier it will be for us to worship Him. The easier it will be for us to, to serve Him and to love Him and to be in a relationship with Him. If you're struggling in your relationship with Jesus, it's probably because you haven't fully recognized what it is that He has actually done for you. Because when you recognize it, your heart can't help but overflow in gratitude. It can't help but overflow. When we found out what the worth was of the watch that had been given to my wife before she was like, hey, thanks, that's... Thanks so much. You know, I needed a watch and it's great. Afterwards, we went back to that lady. We were like, thank you. Thank you. We didn't know, but thank you. This is, we can't believe that you actually did this for us. So it increases your gratitude. Some of us as humans, if we're just honest for a moment, we struggle to genuinely worship. We struggle to genuinely give our lives to God. We struggle to genuinely serve Him and be joyful about it. Sometimes Christianity can feel like a duty that we're fulfilling and, and things that we have to do. And then what we tell ourselves is to give ourselves a pep talk and say, hey, 
Try harder to be more pumped about this. Try harder to be more pumped about, ah, okay, let me just try and, and just get over this, you know, whatever it may be, and, and, and just try and focus on Jesus, and it can be a battle, right? Come on, am, am I the only one? It can be a battle at times. Do you know what's going to help you? Not by giving yourself little Christian pep talks, by recognizing what Jesus has done, by seeing yourself honestly, and then going, I can't believe, God, that you, you love me. It's just, it's so good. I've got to tell you that I've been in ministry for over 10 years now. I've, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of church. I've been involved from youth pastor level all the way up to leading a church now. Um, I've, I've, just, I've been through so many different things. And it is so easy. It could have been so easy for me to become cynical in my faith. But you know what keeps my heart soft? It's just always coming back to what it is that Jesus has done for me. When I stand up front here in a worship, you know, I, I never want to worship because it's just something to do. I, I want it to always be authentic. You know what keeps my approach to God authentic? I stand here and I recognize how unworthy I am. I recognize how in myself there is nothing that I could claim as good. There's nothing that I can take my stand on and say, that's why I serve you, God, because I'm so awesome at this. No, I stand here, and in a moment, I recognize that I am not, I do not deserve any of this. I don't deserve His grace. I don't deserve His favor. I don't deserve the blessings. I don't deserve the family that I have. I don't deserve any single part of it. It's all by His grace. When I recognize that, I'm like, whoa, it's too good. It's too good for me to, to I can't even believe that God's done that for me, but it's so good. And if you're struggling in, your, in, in intimacy with God, that's where it comes from. For me, it's just, it's the gospel. Hey, God, like, I don't deserve to be here, but you're so good to me. You're so good. You're so gracious. And you care. You love. You know, how many of us just genuinely want somebody to care about us? Genuinely just want a person who will be committed to us? And, uh, and, and, and our human relationships, we have forms of that. You know, I'm very grateful for my wife and married 10 years as well. And I mean, she, she needs a medal for that. I mean, that's God's grace all by, it, by itself. But, um, but, but we're imperfect even in how we love one another. That's why the Bible says make room for each other. Make room for one another's faults because there is gonna, it's going to be necessary. But God just loves us perfectly, consistently, day after day, whether we're acting well or whether we're misbehaving, whether we're doing what we're supposed to do or we're not. His love never fails. It never ceases. It always hopes. It always believes. It always continues. It always perseveres. It's just every day. It's the most dependable thing that we have in our lives. It's the love of God. And so here in John 12, um, it's coming out of John 11, 11, obviously, where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so he, turns, he returns to Bethany. Uh, by the way, the word Beth in, in Hebrew means house. And, and this word put together in, in Hebrew means the house of the poor. Bethany means the house of the poor. And I love that when Jesus is coming up to Jerusalem, he comes to the house of the poor. He stays in the house of the poor. And that's exactly the thing. He comes to stay with us even though spiritually we were all impoverished without Jesus. He comes and stays with us in our imperfection, in our poverty, in our, our lack, in all of the things that we don't have. He stays with us. He stays in the house of the poor. 
In verse 2, it says, that it says, so they gave a dinner for him there. They gave a dinner for Jesus because he came. And, and, and that term there, that it says, so they gave a dinner for him. I'm just going to read the, the rest of that verse. It says, um, I think we do have it up on the screen. We can put uh, verse 2 and 3. There we go. It says, so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. Lazarus was the one reclining with those, uh, one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nod and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. What this verse is actually telling us, where it says, Jesus came, so they gave a dinner for him there, is that this is actually a dinner set up to honor Jesus and to thank him for raising Lazarus from the dead. This is not just they decided to have dinner because Jesus came over. When they heard that Jesus was coming, they said, we've got to do something to thank him. This is that, that response. Worship really is a response to recognizing that God has raised you from the dead. And so they're going all out in honoring Jesus because they recognize the worth. They understand Jesus raised their brother from the dead. Lazarus is going, I am the one that was raised from the dead. And so they want to honor him in the biggest way possible. They want to do everything they can to express their gratitude because they know the worth of Jesus. And so what I want to share with you in the time that we have left this morning is three things that happen when you recognize what Jesus has done for you. Three things that happen when you recognize the worth of, of your salvation, genuinely recognize, not theoretically, not theologically even, just in your heart of hearts, you recognize this is what God has done for me. And the first thing that we see there, it says Martha served. Martha served. What happens when you recognize what Jesus has done for you, that he has raised you from the dead, is that you, you want to serve. This is, this is something that you get to do, not something that you have to do. We get to serve Jesus. Previously, we were running after our own lusts and our own desires and our own things, living self-centered lives, using everything we can to get ourselves ahead. But when we recognize what Jesus has done for us, we are literally looking for ways to serve him. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that with guys that are kind of disengaged with church. Ah, I don't really know if I like church. I don't really know if it's my vibe. I don't really know if it's my scene. And uh, they'll come and they'll just hear about the gospel. And they'll come straight up to me after having received and recognized, perhaps for the first time, what it is that Jesus really did for them. And they're like, what can I do? What can I do to help? Can I, can I, can I pour some coffee? Can I clean up afterwards? Can I stack chairs? Can I, can I be part of anything? Anything that you need me to do, I'm here and I'm doing it. What's, I've seen that shift happen so many times. Why? Because they recognize what Jesus had done for them. They recognize, and, it, and it over, it, it, our hearts are overwhelmed with the sense of, I want to get engaged. I want to I I do whatever I can to be a part of the story. And that's how God blesses us. We get to be a part of the story. We get to be a part of seeing others connect with Jesus in that way again. And I've got to tell you that for me, that's the thing that makes me come alive. That's the thing that I love seeing is other people getting switched on to what it is that God has for their lives. So Martha expressed her gratitude by serving Jesus. I remember once when um, my wife and I, we lived in a complex that was quite small. 
Um, and we, had, we were very close to our neighbors, not because we wanted to be, um, but because um, you couldn't help it. If, you, you know, if they're kind of talking in their house, we can kind of hear it. And if you, know, if you stand in the garden, you can see them, hey, hey. You know, it's almost like living in one house. It's just a tiny wall that helps us feel better. Um, and, um, and so uh, the, the lady that lived next door to us, um, to put it nicely, she was sometimes a bit difficult. And, um, and so my wife and I were just thinking about ways that we can just try and bridge that, that kind of harshness that, you know, very antagonistic. Um, and, so, and so the one day for Christmas, uh, my, my wife loves to bake, and she just baked like a box of cookies. And we wrote a little card, and we said, hey, you know, um, we just wanted to share some love with you this Christmas and whatever. We just took, took the box of biscuits over to them. It's like, hey, it's Christmas. Here's some biscuits. We just, you know a little card, whatever. And I remember the, her husband in that moment being like, oh, he, he couldn't believe that we gave him, it's just biscuits, but he couldn't believe that somebody came and gave him something just out of their own free will with no strings attached. And he was literally going like, like looking around, what can I give you? What can I, and he's like, come into my garage, come into my garage. And he's like, he's like do, you, do, you, do you do fishing? Do you do fishing? And, and he's like, I have lures, man. I have all of these lures. So he shows me all these lures that he has on the wall. Um, he's quite a, an avid fisherman. And he's like, oh, this lure, this lure. And, and I'm just like, awesome, man. I'll have that lure. I do some fishing. Thank you so much. Like, so he, he just felt like he, out of a response, it wasn't a forced thing. Nobody told him to give me a lure. I didn't even know if I would ever use that lure, you know. Um, and, but, but out of, he just recognized, man, somebody shared love with me. It inspires something in us to go, I want to respond. I want to respond by giving something of myself. And so again, um, serving and motivation for serving doesn't come out of a pep talk. It comes out of recognizing what Jesus has done for you. Serving won't be an issue when you realize the worth of what Jesus has done. I found another scripture, um, which I've used before in other messages in Matthew 8.14, which kind of shows the same thing, uh, where Jesus comes into uh, Peter's house, and it says in Matthew 8.14, it says, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her. So Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, and she rose and began to serve him. Straight away, I've been touched by Jesus. He's healed me. First response, hey, what can I do? How can I serve? How can I be involved? How can I do what you've called me to do? So when Jesus has touched your life, we'll be moved to, to serve. And, um, and it's so powerful. So that's the first thing that happens when you recognize the worth of Jesus. The second thing is that you enjoy his presence. Number two, you enjoy his presence. We see there that Lazarus, the one who was raised from the dead, it says, is one of those reclining at the table with Jesus. And the word reclining, um, really, you know, what it really means is it means to lean back in a kind of a relaxed. Essentially, if it was today, it would be like Lazarus is one of those hanging out with Jesus at the table. He's parked off. He's chilled out. He's just, in other words, he's not, it's not a formal thing. It's not, hey, I'm, I'm here with Jesus uh, because he's here, and now we need to honor him, and that's the right thing to do. And, you know, always put God first. And, and you know, I was taught in Sunday school that you, you put God first, and then you put your family, and then, and then your work. And, and so we've just got to make sure that we, you know, honor the Sabbath, and six days a man works. And, and that's how people sometimes approach their Christianity. It's like, it's this rigid thing. Uh, when you realize what Jesus says, that when you're raised from the dead, not just 
not just going through principles, not just following rules, not just doing all the things that you're supposed to do Christian-wise, but when you recognize that you've been raised, you were once dead, and now you are alive, what you want to do is relax in the presence of Jesus. It's not something to rush past. It's not a duty you do early on a Sunday morning. It's, I want to just, this is my father. This is my savior. This is my friend. This is the one who raised me, and I want to be in this relationship with him. I want to walk with him. I want to know him. I want to sit at the table with him. I'm not fulfilling a duty through my relationship with God, and that is actually how we diminish our relationship with God, is when you turn it into a duty. Now, it's good for you to put some practices into place to help you uh, at times to, uh, to move forward in your relationship, um, like there is in any friendship or in any, any you know, marriage. My wife and I, for example, would do a date night every now and again. It's important to set time aside, and I, I've got nothing against that, but the heart is, if all you have is a calendar and, 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 and a specific routine, there's not a lot of heart there, is it? And I don't think that's the kind of relationship. He doesn't want a, God doesn't want a robotic relationship with us. He wants people that, rec, that have recognized that they've been raised from the dead going, I want to hang out, Jesus. I want to hang out. When people ask me, like when, like, when are my devotion times during the day? I say all day. All day, I'm always in the car, wherever I am, wherever I'm walking. I'm always thinking about God. I'm always talking to Him. I never feel as if He's not with me because I just want to hang out. With Jesus. I just want to recline at the table and be in his presence because he's raised me from the dead. God wants us to enjoy his presence. Just think about it for a moment as, as a dad of, of three young boys. Um, I love it when my sons enjoy being around me. I love it when I walk into their room, uh, to the room and, and their eyes light up and they, you know, they're excited to see me and they grab me around the neck. Um, you know, when I, I went to preach in Cape Town a few weeks back, when I got back, I was sitting on the couch next to my son Eli and just randomly he got up and hugged me hard around the neck and just kissed me and he's like, I'm so glad you're back, Dad. I want my, my sons to enjoy my presence. Why would I want the kind of relationship with them where they would fear me and be worried when I'm around and, and worry about what um, faults I'm going to pick out around? And that's, right? Who wants a relationship with their kids like that? Nobody. So why do we assume if we're imperfect, the Bible says evil fathers compared to God, that he would want us to just be in this fear, fearful state when we're around him? God wants us, obviously we honor, we recognize, we, we, we revere, no doubt. But I've never had more reverence for God than after understanding what he did for me. His love is what causes me to revere him. If you want the fear of God, somebody once said the gospel is the difference between the fear of God and being afraid of God. The difference is when you recognize what Jesus has done. And God wants us to enjoy his presence. Are you enjoying your relationship with God? The third thing that happens is that you love to worship him. You love to worship him. Not just with music, not just on a Sunday morning, but with your life with every part of your life, with how you conduct yourself, with how you, with how you live, with how you sacrifice, with how you give, with how you care for others, in every part of your life, you love to worship God and express 
your love for him. And that's what we see here. We see Martha served, Lazarus is hanging out with Jesus at the table, and Mary comes in, and she has, the Bible says, um, this, 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 it was about a pound of ointment made of pure nard. The purest fragrance, the purest perfume, if you, if you take the flowers and all the spices and the things that they used for, uh, you know, to make the perfume and you crush it, the, the very pure ointment, very, very expensive. And it was probably around, uh, around about a pound of, of that perfume, very, very expensive. To give you an idea, that's roughly if she had walked in with, with a cold drink can, a 340 ml kind of cold drink can full of this ointment. And she, she, she opens up this expensive bottle and she pours that ointment out over Jesus' feet. She pours that ointment out over Jesus' feet. I love the fact that in order to make perfume, it has to be crushed. And it's in our lives when we recognize our own brokenness and we recognize what God has done, what expensive thing He has done in the midst of our brokenness, we just want to pour it out in gratitude towards Him. We pour it out on His feet, and she takes her own hair and wipes His feet. That, is, that wasn't something that was kind of done culturally in the day. That's just an, a very grand gesture of, of worship. Hey, Jesus, you're... This is how much you mean to me. More than how much this bottle of perfume costs. More than, than uh, having the right social standing. More than what others may think. I just want to pour out my love and my gratitude and my worship at your feet. It's a big expression. There's nothing. There, there wouldn't be anything that would, be, that would cost too much for her in that moment where she was, I'd give it. She's pouring out all of this value because what she recognizes is that what Jesus has done is worth more than any earthly thing, more than any earthly value. And if you're wondering about how valuable uh, that, that perfume actually was, Judas pipes up, and we know, we see now that Judas didn't just betray Jesus right at the end. He actually had an ha a heart issue from the beginning. Here we actually see a contrast in this between somebody who recognizes Jesus' worth and someone who does not. It's amazing how the people who don't recognize Jesus' worth are the first one to raise the moral flag, to wave the flag of morality. He doesn't recognize Jesus' worth. So he's, he's looking at this whole thing. I can imagine him shaking his head because he loves money. <laughs> Going, That's a lot of money. Some people shake their head when they hear that, that there are people that give to the church. Go, oh, why would you do that? Why would you give to the church? Why would you give something so valuable? I, I don't get it. You don't recognize the worth of what Jesus has done. Judas pipes up. He says, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 300 denarii in today's uh, currency or in today's value would be around 250,000 rand. It's about $20,000 worth. Can you imagine just pouring out 250,000 rand? She's seen something and she doesn't even care. I'll wipe up this 250,000 rand with my hair. You know, ointment hair doesn't care. 
That's what she poured out. Do you know how much Judas sold Jesus out for, betrayed Jesus for? Those 30 pieces of silver was worth roughly 10,000 rand, about $600. That's the worth he placed on Jesus. He betrayed him for 10, for 10 grand. Mary pulls out 250. It's worth. Do you recognize the worth of Jesus? The Bible tells us that Jesus didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag used to help himself to what was put into it. He was, he was around Jesus, but he didn't recognize his worth. He didn't recognize what Jesus was saying. He didn't recognize the gospel. And the Bible actually tells us that the same Judas was about to betray Jesus. He was about to betray him. I was thinking about the conversation between Judas and the Pharisees. Like, how much do you think we need to give him in order to get him to betray his Lord and, you know, this Messiah that he walks with and he's been discipled by for three years? And they must have gone like, geez, I don't know, guys, maybe, maybe like 100,000. I don't know. I mean, surely we've got to make this guy a little bit rich if he's going to betray Jesus. And they must have gone up to him. They must have been in a negotiation like, hey, Judas, um, we're, gonna, we're asking you, man, will you betray Jesus? Will you sell him out? How much would you want for him? And he's like, how's about 10 grand? And they must have gone, this is a bargain. We're getting Jesus at a bargain. <laughs> They're like, no problem. We'll pay you the money. We'll, the, the deal is done. And that's the difference between those who recognize what Jesus has done and those who don't. In John 12, verse 7, Jesus recognizes what Judas is saying. You got, Jesus is, knows what's going on in Judas's heart. And so what he says is, he, he's saying, don't influence Mary with your lack of value, with your worldly thinking, with your corrupt mind. So he responds in verse 7, he says, Leave her alone, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And what he's saying is, don't corrupt the value that Mary has placed on my life. Because what the devil will want to do in your life, the same thing he tried to do here with Mary, is he will try to get you to diminish the value of Jesus' day of burial. He'll get you to diminish the value of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And you don't realize it, but what the devil was using Judas to do there in Mary's life is exactly what he still does in our lives every single day day. When you fail or when you struggle or when you sin, the devil comes and says, you see, the cross isn't that valuable. You see, God really didn't do everything that you thought he had done. When you struggle in life or you go through hardship, you go, you see, uh, it wasn't enough. God doesn't really care. And it causes us to lower our, our view of what Jesus has done. Jesus says to Judas, leave her alone. This is for my day of burial. Don't diminish the value that she has placed on my life because it's going to stand her in good stead. That pure nod that was poured out are those flowers that are crushed that releases that, that, that beautiful fragrance. It says there that the whole house 
was filled with that fragrance. The entire house just filled with that fragrance. Isaiah 53 verse 5, we're almost done, says, But he was pierced, this is speaking about Jesus, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. He was crushed for our iniquities. You see, through Jesus, God released the fragrance of his love. Through Jesus, God released the fragrance of his, of his grace. And if you were in that house experiencing that, that moment of worship, what we do when we worship God is we release that same fragrance. The whole house, even those that have diminished the worth of Jesus, their nostrils are filled with the aroma of God's grace. I remember uh, Robert Capon saying that grace is this relentless marching band that, that constantly hounds the, all the non-celebrants in the world until they come, finally come out and dance and the older brothers unstop their ears. That's what grace is. It's just this party. It's just this celebration. It's just this worship that continually goes on and on and on until all those who aren't celebrating are like, okay, let's go dance with them. They, the, the older brothers unplug their ears. I want to actually hear what this is about. And when we go into this world and we understand, that's the key, what Jesus has done for us, and we begin to live lives of worship. We are diffusing the fragrance of God. We're a part of that party. We're a part of that celebration. And people in the world, all the non-celebrants, cannot ignore it. They either have to reject it outright or look a little bit deeper, but they can't be impartial any longer. They can't sit on the fence any longer. And so Jesus was crushed. And even in our lives, when we're crushed, oftentimes through that, God releases that that fragrance. The way we serve, the way we fellowship, the way we worship Jesus speaks so powerfully to our world about what our God has done for us. In 2 Corinthians 2 verse 15, it says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, the victory procession. There's that procession going through the streets, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. The fragrance of the knowledge of Him, God spreads it everywhere through us, for we are the aroma of Christ. To God amongst those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing in that house. Those that believe in Jesus, those that have diminished the value of the cross, we are the aroma of God in Christ to all of those people. And they cannot but help to smell what it is that God has done, to experience what it is that God has done. So when you know the worth of your salvation, when you know what God has done for you in your life, when you recognize how sinful you are and how gracious God is and how He is still constantly daily working in you, it will be reflected through your life. There will be a fragrance that is diffused through your life. Many people come to church, and many of those people are still serving themselves. And, and, and I sometimes still do, and I, I have many times. But the more we see Jesus, 
the more we recognize his worth, the more we grow in our understanding of our salvation, the more we'll start serving him wholeheartedly, fellowshipping with him with ease and, 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 and with, with joy and worshiping him passionately. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, keep your eyes fixed on the cross and, help, and, and ask God to help you understand the worth of what he's done for you. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray.